What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Boardroom Network. This is the Out of Office Podcast, and I am here with my man Gianni Harrell, who I will be with for as long as they will have us. Gianni, what's good? What's up? What's up, Rich? You excited for today? Super rare. Super rare. This should be dope. We got my partner in crime, Kevin Durant. He's here with us today. He'll be he'll be hopping on the Out of Office Network from time to time. His podcast launches next month. So today will be fun. Alongside KD, G, and myself, we will have the CEO of Translation Advertising Agency, the CEO of United Masters, an author, Tanning America. Guy's done so many things. Managed some of the biggest artists in the world. He's a pioneer in, in hip-hop music. He's a pioneer in entertainment world. And um, honored to have him on. He always has an incredible amount of knowledge to share with the world. So without further ado, Steve Stout. Yeah, thank you for having me as part of this talk. To see where you guys have started this business from and where it is today, I'm proud of you. I can't wait to get into this, man. I think what you guys are doing is amazing. I told Rich, I listened to the Doc Rivers conversation. That shit is crazy. Thank you, man. So... I'll tell you, um, Steve shows up. You always show up for me, man. I said that to Jack, too, but I've known you for 20 years. You've shown up for me and introduced me to damn near half the people I know in this world. When I was Kevin and Gianni, when I was um, 29 years old, I got put in this book, the Johnny Walker 30 Under 30. It was like the kind of thing that, you know, with all due respect to Johnny Walker, meant nothing. But at the time, for, <laughs> for me, I felt like this was a real thing. And they asked me to name somebody that was a mentor to me, someone I looked up to, and I chose Stout. And one of the number one reasons I, I chose Steve um, was because I couldn't explain what he did, and I loved it. I loved that, like, I knew he was involved in House Party, the movie that I grew up on. I knew he was involved in Nas's business. I knew he was involved in Jay-Z's business. I knew it was some of the commercials that we had seen with Allen Iverson and Jadakiss he was involved in. But what I loved about it was he was everywhere and doing everything, and I always envision myself doing that one day steve if you got stopped by a young kid and i'm sure you do from time to time that asked you to explain what your role is and what your title is and i know you probably hate that in a in a in a quick second how would you explain what steve stout does for a living rich i gotta tell you i you know i appreciate the compliment it's been it, it was it's hard to explain um and I realized at a certain point in time that I wanted it to be hard to explain because it's, it's truly, um, I encompass a lot of things that interest me. And if, the, if, it's, if it interests me, I'm going to go after it. And I feel like um, people want to put people in boxes. And if I tell them what I do, then they want to put me in that box. Very similarly, like if you look at Kevin, like it's this, this, this three positions on a basketball, four positions on a basketball court, right? It's like the, 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 the either forward, the center, point guard, shooting guards. Like what, what position is Kevin Durant? He's all positions. But like the coaches be trying to put you in a, in a box and then you're that position. I don't ever want to be that position. I want to be a, a person that can play all positions of things that interest me. Um, just so happens that, Music, advertising, and technology technology interests me. And I put my 10,000 hours in all three of them. So I sit at that convergence of those three things, and I'm proud of that. So I, I am a person who is culturally curious, that chases down the things that I believe in, 
and I don't want to be put in a box. That's really the best description of, of who I am. And the companies you run, though, right? The companies you run, um, just for the listeners, you're the CEO of Translation. You're the CEO of United Masters. Um, you have a incredibly high role within the Nick organization in marketing and branding and advertising. And I know that there's a million other things that you do, but you had to get good at something. And when you were coming up, just like when Kevin was coming up, it wasn't the idea of being three positions on the basketball court. It was setting out to do something and be someone and, 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 and be accomplished in this world and be regarded. Uh, I guess I asked this to both you and Kevin, like, was there an inflection point in your teenage years where you realized that you had a, you had a little, you had a mission in life that what you were going to do for a living or what you were going to do in this world was going to mean something? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, you understand the pulse and the culture around what I did at, you know, which is playing basketball. You understand how far the reach is. And you look at the st- you look at the standards that were set by guys in my profession, and you know so you start to understand what you know my purpose. I started to understand what my purpose is around the game of basketball, but how many people can really be touched by what I by what I do on the floor every day? So how I moved once I started to realize that how I moved on the day to day just started to change. It started to evolve. I started to become more professional as each year um, started to pass, and you know, and then you know how I moved outside of that, just, you know, how I chose my friends, what situations I wanted to put myself into, who I wanted to talk to, just started to change based off of the skill that I started to develop. So Steve, that's like a tangible skill, right? And for me, I think another reason I obviously kind of admired what your role was in this world was I wanted to be around it. I wanted to be around greatness like Kevin Durant, like Jay-Z, like the people that I watched you around. Um, what was there a skill set you realized early on or a passion or a love that that drove you to get started? Well, the truth of the matter is I, I remember um, I was sitting in my mother's drive. I was sitting in my, my parents' house. I was in the driveway and I listened to It Ain't Hard to Tell by Nas. And it was the first thing like I had dreams. And. When I listened to It Ain't Hard to Tell, sitting in my, in my driveway in my mom's crib, because uh, I could play it loud without getting beef with my parents in the car, I wanted, it, it inspired me to do something that was out of body. And what that was, was I went to Queensbridge and literally met Nas for the first time by just walking into Queensbridge um, without knowing a single person. And... That's when I knew I wanted to make it. And walking into Queensbridge was just something that um, was a symbol of how bad I wanted it. It was the first thing that made me do something really bad. Everybody worked hard, had two jobs, like the normal work hard thing. But the out of body thing was when I went to what was a dangerous place without having any introductions and said, can anybody introduce me to Nas? That's how bad I wanted to be in the entertainment business. Um, and I, that, that was the first thing that I could say was, damn, even when I look back on it, what was running through my body to make me do that, that was uh, driving me to get into entertainment. 
But there was not a person that I looked up to and said, oh, this person is the mold in which I want to follow. There was nobody that was doing all the things that I felt like I had the God-given talent to do, to be honest with you. How old were you when you were, were heading to Queensbridge? I was 25. So I was already a music, I was already like working with Kid and Play and a road manager and doing all that kind of stuff. Um, but when I heard, I didn't really like that music. I mean, just all, Kid and Play are good friends of mine um, and they put me on. But I didn't love their music. I didn't love their music. When I heard Nas, that, that shit was an out-of-body experience. And I, went, and I went to go see him. I was 25 years old. And, and, and um, that's when my life changed, really changed. I ain't gonna lie to you. Kevin told me a story that blew my mind. Like, Kevin told me this story about going hours. First of all, a coach that wouldn't even let him touch a ball for hours unless he went through a certain workout regimen. And then in playing basketball, he had gotten so good that he had to travel far distances just to play competition that could compete with him. And I was sitting there going, are you serious? Like, Kev, you told me these stories, man, about when you wanted to quit basketball. Yeah. When you had a coach that wouldn't let you pick up a ball and that man who came into your life, a coach who made you travel far distances to play talent that was e your equivalent that would make you keep growing as, a, as an athlete. And you did all of it. And it blew my mind coming at you where you came from that you, that you did those things. Like, I don't know how you feel, but those things must have been life-changing. Yeah, definitely was. I think it all stemmed from, from, from the love. I think enjoying what I did every single day, enjoying working with other people, that just started to evolve over time. So those out-of-body experiences happened. I was, I, was, I was able to know that they were happening in the moment. You get what I'm saying? Like, you know, each time I played in a new arena for the first time and I played well or I met a player that was just as good as me, I felt those were out-of-body experiences. And I probably would have bypassed those if I didn't love the game as much. You know what I'm saying? So a lot of stuff was subtle. Uh, over that time, but it all stemmed from the love of it, and, and and that's that's something that you just build over. You know, first first few workouts, obviously, I didn't know what I was doing, and then I start. I wanted to get better at it, and I love just start to grow, and then you know everything kind of opened up after that. How about working out? But how about working out for two hours before you touch the ball? You told me I was crawling on your back. You were crawling backwards. You had to do the length of the court like on like a crab backwards. Like you were telling me some crazy workout shit. Yeah, I mean, but shit. At that age, you don't you you thinking all of this. You know, you have to do all of it. You know, if somebody told me to do something out there on the basketball court, I wanted to be the best. You know, I wanted to be the best in the drills. I wanted to be. I wanted. To, I wanted my coaches to look at me to to not look at me and, and, and think I had any weaknesses. You know what I'm saying? So everything that they told me to do, I was just always ready to do it at an elite level. And some days were worse than others, obviously, just like any job, any skill you're trying to perfect. But at the end of it, it was like, this is going to make me who I want to be. Yeah, but the love is the same thing as like when I always say to you that I feel like some people are wired 
to look at work and look at their profession as what they have to do to pay their bills and have entertainment uh, with their kids and to travel. Whereas I knew I was born early, like wired to like want to make work and building something and creating something and like starting something and seeing somebody else want to buy it or like taking my toys downstairs and selling them just because that feeling gave me a rush. That's how you felt about basketball. Do, do entrepreneurs, Steve, like, don't you agree people have to be wired for this? You have to be wired for it. You have to love this. You have to want this. Do the people that you surround yourself with in business that you build your company with, can you get all like-minded people within your organization that love it? Because you can be an entrepreneur within a company, which took me a long time to realize. But like, how do you find those people within your group? I'm going to keep it all the way real. You know, this we out the office right now. And I'm not going to sit here and sugarcoat this. Being an entrepreneur is a very lonely job. I went through a lot of sleepless nights. I mean, in the last three years, building United Masters, no sleep nervous you don't want to fail you got to make payroll you got people relying on you and there's very few people that can wake up and function knowing those things are constantly on their mind um and and i i think about i think about great athletes all the time i find inspiration when i think about you know you know you got to take that shot the game you know it's a closed game there's four minutes left you know that you're going to take the shot like, so you got to go through that process because it's going to come down to you. Are there entrepreneurs inside of a company? Yes, there are people who are entrepreneurial in thought. But it's really a very few who can go to sleep knowing that if it's, it's on them to pay the bills. It's on them to make the company work. It's on them to hit that last shot. Um, the thing that the most disappointing thing about this sort of time for me is that the word entrepreneur is being thrown around loosely and everybody's running to it thinking that that's what they want to do but they don't realize that that ain't really it i wouldn't even recommend to many people to do what i've done there's a lot of sacrifice and shit that came through it that i don't think that everybody should do it's, i don't highly recommend it you know Kev? like i don't know how you feel kevin do you recommend that everybody Everybody take see what it feels like to take the last shot in the championship game. No, I definitely, I definitely tell a lot of people that you got to work your way up into those positions. You got to, you got to learn from somebody. You got to be able to follow well, you know, in in order for you to, like you said, take that last shot. But it's a lot of people who jumping into that fire and they want to under they they think they understand what it means to be an entrepreneur. But like you said, it's a lot of pressure that comes with it. There's a lot of people that that you're responsible for at that point. But I always tell people to follow the leader. It's always good to do that. You learn a lot that way. But you know what? You don't also, I'm sure you can't also tell every young player, like work your way up here. There's some young players that you may say like, yo, you should start focusing on setting screens and like playing off the ball and because you may not be wired for that last shot. And that and that's what I think. Like some people I think think entrepreneur is a job title, you know, like uh Nah, I think I, I'm going to drop out of um, business school. I'm just going to be an entrepreneur. Like, you wired it a certain way. You have to be wired that way. You should focus on something else. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, Rich, CEO. I'm not even saying, I'm saying you can aspire to be a CEO. That's different. The entrepreneur, having an idea, 
when everybody tells you there's no fucking way it's going to work and you got to go and do that phase and you got to build it and find five people that believe in you. Then you got to lead them and make payroll. Then you got to turn that into 50 people and a hundred people and build a company. But that's not for everybody. That's impossible for everybody. And it's not, I hate the fact that everybody makes that thing feel like the shit. It's not. And I'm sure Kevin's seen a lot of players who have a lot of potential miss an important shot and their whole career going the wrong direction after that. Now they're scared. Now they don't want to shoot. Now they think twice about it. Yeah. Now you can't rely on them. Yeah, like you said, there's a lot of pressure that comes with being a guy, being, being held accountable for a lot of other things besides yourself. You know what I'm saying? And it's, and it's even through your success, gonna, there's going to be some time. It's still going to be even more pressure once you get more success. You know what I'm saying? So it's definitely a, it's definitely a role that you got to be cut out for. You got to be groomed for. Like we said before, we had this conversation before, Rich. Some skills you start developing at an early, early age. Eight, nine year, nine, ten years old, you start developing those skills subconsciously, and that builds you up into that, puts you into that role. Some people don't have those skills at an early age. Mm-hmm. Well, some people don't have the skills in an early age, they don't have perspective. And some skills, I think, start to become more refined once you've gained perspective. After I made the soundtrack to Men in Black and it took off, I realized at that moment that hip hop was bigger than the music that I liked, that it was a global culture and that I had the bandwidth to be a part of it. It's like when rappers realize just spitting rhymes and being a dope battle rapper is cool, but there's so much more to it, like making big songs that go global. And you realize that you can do all of that if you stretch your mind. That's why I was after Men in Black. I'm like, I could do this all day long. I could think really big. And after I did Will Smith, Men in Black, it was easy for me to go sign Enrique Iglesias. It was easy for me to go work with anybody because I I understood the language of, of making big songs and understood the, 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 the language of how, how global the opportunity was. So that was the first thing. When I knew I wanted to be in it forever, um, I already knew I loved hip hop. And I think about like, you know, whether it be Wu-Tang or Nas or, or Jay-Z or Biggie, like I wanted to be a part of whatever they were saying for the rest of my life. But I knew at the age of 29 that if I didn't go, if I went into advertising, I could take the things that I learned from hip hop and get it on a bigger stage. And the bigger stage was big national advertising campaigns. And that's why the first thing I did, the first, and the first three things I did was, I'm loving it, which Pusha T wrote, Jada Kiss and Allen Iverson, which was just completely turning everything upside down, and hip hop and R&B, I mean hip hop and, and basketball. Um, I also did another commercial. It didn't come out great for some reason, but it was Steve Francis and Scarface. And I like, I was like, damn, we'll put Steve Francis and Scarface, Jada Kiss and, and AI, and like have Pusha T write the McDonald's thing, and it was like. I, I can uniquely do these things. And I feel like it's no different from KD being that height, but could play 
way out in the perimeter. Like you just, you're a Swiss Army knife. I could play here, I could play here, I could do that. But you got to put the hours in at each of those positions. You can't, you got you to gotta know the block. You got to know how to play the perimeter game. It's like you got to work on your handles. Like that's an obscene amount of pressure to do 10,000 hours at all three of those things. But God gave you a talent. You got to fulfill it. Okay, so Steve, um, how many years ago was was Pusha T, Allen Iverson, and uh, and Scarface? All that stuff was like 2002. Katie says he remembers it. Katie must have been eight. 2002? Yeah. <laughs> Looking at BG after dark. Stop. That was 14. He's <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>, eight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course I remember all that. So you were doing this in 2002, and you've been at corporate America's throat for longer than that. And now in 2020, right, another fucked up incident, another incident in Wisconsin that uh, I'd be remiss not to, to bring up with the two of you on the phone. And now the both of you have propelled in these positions of power in life, positions of uh, shop makers when there's very little time left on the clock in both your worlds you got to come through right so steve you've been at their at their throat and now they're all making statements and everyone's taking out a release saying that they stand behind black lives matter what does that mean when corporate america says that i can tell you this man you know what kevin i really need your point of view on this first of all i like I like the episode called shop makers i think that's a dope <laughs> you said something that's that's like a dope name shop makers but as it relates to this topic, um, Black Lives Matter is getting co-opted by things that are not part of Black Lives Matter, like violence and looting and what you see taking place in Portland. That's not Black Lives Matter. That's something else. And Black Lives Matter as a movement about peaceful protest needs to be clear because if it's not clear and it gets lumped in, with all of those things, it's going to be a problem come election time. And somebody got to stand up and say, Black Lives Matter is this. All those other people wearing Black Lives Matter shirts while they're running up in stores have nothing to do with Black Lives Matter. That's some other shit, okay? What's taking place in general is really to showcase to the world that Black Americans and police have a problem that's systemic. They don't treat black men at all with the same precaution that they go through with white people. They shoot first and ask questions later. And the fact that there's cameras to show this to the world is no different. I mean, when Rodney King got his ass beat, everybody was in shock that that took place. And now, you know, 30 years later, whatever it is, 32 years later, you see the same thing taking place. And even in, in, in the environment when everybody's paying attention to this, it's still taking place. Um, and that's why we need change in America because the, the, the racism is at a, I don't think it's at its all-time high, but I think police brutality is absolutely at its all-time high because they're afraid. Yeah. And the line, like we've talked about, I think like people can't hide anymore if there's some if there's some positive that's come out 
of this moment. And I think a lot of positive has, but it's got to be in the follow through and the consistency. But that's what I mean, right? So you get a you get a quote from a, a corporation, Steve, that you work with that says that they support this. Um, and I see now that United Masters in the last three or four weeks has announced deals with some of the biggest corporations, ESPN, the NBA. What, as one of these leaders who's been doing this for 20 years, what are you saying to corporate America now who, who want to ask you how to draft a statement to support them? Man, first of all, I'm holding all of them, Rich, accountable. I'm coming out with five points that are very clear about how to fix this problem so that you can't say we got to do better. No, no. We're going to show you what doing better. You got to hold yourself accountable to fixing this problem within your company, diversity issues, hiring issues, uh, promotion issues, whatever it may be, with the same intent that you look at your profit and loss statements. That's the way you need to look at diversity in your company. The other thing I'm going to tell you, man, that's really screwed up is, like, when you look at diversity in America, in corporate America, you got to really exclude white women from it, not because they shouldn't be involved, because definitely women are getting the short end of the stick as well. But as soon as diversity became a big thing, companies started putting white women and putting them on the boards, and black women and black people was getting the short end of the stick because these companies would say, well, we gave a white woman a board seat. Isn't that diversity? Well, it is. But you know what? We want full accountability for diversity, women and African-Americans in totality. So there's a, there's a, there's a, a five-step process that I'm putting out in a few weeks that I'm going to hold the, the, all the agencies, the holding companies, um, Omnicom, WPP, uh, Publicis. These are the big holding companies that control the media business. And I'm holding all the brands accountable to hold them accountable so that we can get more diversity in this industry, in the media industry. Hold on. And lastly on this topic, Rich, because it's a very important one, um, I don't think that running around saying defund the police is the right answer, but funding police training is definitely the right answer. 1,000%. Police training and every department doing background checks and going generational with these checks. Like some of these guys in middle America, I mean, these guys didn't just happen to do something quote unquote racist. Like these were racist people within these departments. I mean, this is, I mean, that's the definition I would, 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 would assume is of what systematic is. Like this is within the system, it's broken. But so what role, like what role do you feel like athletes, for instance, who I think in the past people always reference Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Muhammad Ali as uh, some of the more outspoken athletes. Now I think it's the entire sports community, right? So what's the sports community's role as opposed to what you believe corporate America's role is? And, and have they already started doing it? Have they always been doing it? I, well, you know what? I want to defer to Katie for that. Like, Katie, you grew up and you've seen all of this shit. None of this surprises you. You've seen this all before. As an athlete, how do you feel your responsibility is this narrative? For one, I think we continue to 
because we do a lot in our neighborhoods. We do a lot in the communities already. And for us, using our platforms and to speak about it is definitely cool. It's definitely good to raise awareness. But at this point, I'm ready to see more action. You know, but I think I think a lot of players are invested in these communities that they play in, that they grew up in, especially in the grassroots and the black community. So a lot more guys. I think we got more allies now than anything. And I think that's the great part about it is the the awareness. You know, everybody's consciousness has been raised since the quarantine. But on top of that, more people are starting to listen to each other about these social issues. Uh, but for players, you know, we make a. We, we have a huge impact in these cities we play in, but by just playing on TV, by just being in the NBA. But once we really get down to the grassroots of these neighborhoods we've been in and really helping these people, you know, really getting into the into the field and helping these people, I think we can we can make more change. But for, I think a lot of athletes and entertainers have definitely been giving back, especially with these foundations that they've been, you know, putting together. Is it clear to everybody that Black Lives Matter as a movement is getting co-opted by all of this other stuff that's not necessarily good and nobody's saying anything and it's just being lumped in as one thing? Most definitely. Most definitely. It's, it's, it's definitely confusing trying to uh, understand the Black Lives Matter movement and, like you said, the looting, the stealing, the, the, you know, the violence, everything that comes with it. It, it, just, it just feels like, it just looks like the the when you when you group everybody into the black lives matter it's just it, 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 you just don't understand what it's about you know and then it's two separate it feel like it's two separate movements i think rich if we do not make it clear that black lives matter is about peaceful protests and moving african american initiatives forward and that looting stuff and the anarchists and those things are separate if we do not separate them in the media we will actually ensure that our current president will remain president because it's actually going to hurt us and our initiatives. We need to make sure that Black Lives Matter is not connected with those terrible things that are criminal behavior that none of us support, but we all support Black Lives Matter. Yeah, I mean, I think Trump has done that, right? Like, sure. he's made this, like, radical left wing, without saying it, represent, like, the opposition to his uh, to his side, right? To, to, to what, unfortunately, now, um, if you're a Republican, what you're grouped in in some ways as this, like, the opposite of this movement, right? I mean, that's how it's been. Yes. That's how it is now. And, and, and I don't blame anyone for feeling that way because I guess if you support that side you've chosen at this point they're putting everything like, no we can stop it now they're putting everything in it defund police black lives matter tear down every single thing in the town black lives matter it used to happen in music before you look at something like you know uh, a, 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 a young black kid would go into a place getting caught up in some shit and the first thing they'll say is rapper blah 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 like a ra he's not a rapper what are you talking about he was in an SUV. He wasn't a rapper. You just can't just put, make everything that like that. And like everybody's now, you read the paper, it's like Black Lives Matter, blah, 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 blah. Like, no, no, don't do that. And that's my biggest problem. I need black leaders, young black leaders that move popular culture to differentiate 
What Black Lives Matter means, Black Lives Matters means as a purpose to bring unity and solve a real problem versus anarchy and looting, which is obviously a, 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 a selfish and borderline criminal for something else, but using Black Lives Matter as a halo to cover up that activity. And if we don't do that in time, mark my words, we're gonna go into the election and Black Lives Matter is gonna be something that they're gonna utilize as a negative, not as a positive change in society. So I won't ask you to name the five principles. Well, you know what? Let me ask you first. I assume the answer is no. But can you tell me what these kind of five marching orders for corporate America is? No, I'm not going to tell you no. I think like simple things like, Rich, like you go to these companies and they have chief diversity officers. If you sit down with a chief diversity officer and you ask them what they really do, how much time they have with the CEO, you'll realize, Rich, they don't have any power in these companies. The chief diversity officer, if you're going to have one, you're having a chief diversity officer because what you're basically saying is, if I don't have a chief diversity officer, this company is bound to do a bunch of shit that's not diverse. So we got somebody policing that. Then you speak to the person who's policing that, and they'll tell you they haven't spoken to the CEO in, in six months. They don't have any P&L responsibility. In fact, what they have is a small budget to bring in speakers once a month, and they do something big around Black History Month. That ain't a chief diversity officer. A chief diversity officer needs to be accountable like your CFO for moving something and creating change. So it's like things of that nature. Um, and I can't boil the ocean, but I can affect the advertising business, the holding companies, and the brands. If I can affect the media business, and I play that part, and you, Katie, you out there representing for sports, and then you have blah, 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 representing for this, then we all as a cooperative can help move this forward. I think that's the way. We don't have a Martin Luther King at this time. But what we do have is 35, 50, 60 leaders of individual disciplines who believe in moving something forward. So we don't have one leader that we march towards, but we definitely believe in values that we can affect. And if we affect that, check in with each other like this right here, then we will create change. And one of the things we got to do is not let these people run around and make Black Lives Matter look like some negative shit. It needs to be about a positive, peaceful protest that demands change. And I'll say, I think this is almost like what you just said. You you want to you have to make sure that the advertising industry and 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 hip hop uh, and your world that you can affect change there. That's your part, right? And I think Kevin, you've always said uh, in terms of the communities around the country that are underserved, that are lacking the minimum basic resources to to survive to have a chance. That all you can do is is help your community, right? Like yeah. if everyone in the NBA you know, does what you've done in PG County. Similarly, then you've got, you know, 500 some odd players. Exactly. I always, I always say, tell people to focus on themselves and, and their people and see how they can help their people first and then start growing from there. You know, and, and being an NBA, we have such a, 
a wide reach, like I said earlier, that our family is bigger. It gets it grows every single year, you know. So we we affecting more people each and every year by us just stepping on the basketball court. So if we just be who are, be who we are, stay authentic to ourselves, we can affect change every day. Steve, are these leaders these thirty five fifty leaders you're talking about? Because in my mind, these leaders are you, KD, LeBron, Jay Z, Pharrell, the people that have been influencing hip-hop culture, sports culture, what is now pop culture, and what are now the most influential individuals in our society? Well, those are the most famous, right? There's a lot of people in other sectors that, you know, we don't necessarily know on a first-name basis that's doing it. Um, but, but, but the bottom line is that we don't have a Martin Luther King. We don't have a Malcolm X right now. It's not one person that we all look to and say, give us, the, give us the play, coach. We're running it. So we have to hold each other accountable to do what we can do. And we're fortunate at the NBA to have a commissioner like Adam Silver that allows the players and promotes the players to have that freedom of expression within that league. As an entrepreneur, nothing can stop me except myself if I want to make those statements. You know, Pharrell is an artist. Artists always have the liberty to create statements and make change through music. In fact, that's what Marvin Gaye did, but what's going on? That's what that song is about, right? You can play what's going on right now, and it's the same thing, right? You can one the song right now off of Songs of Key of Life, it's the same thing. It's like these are issues that need to be addressed that have always been a constant problem. And... Um, as long as we make sure that all of our leaders are leading and we don't let the media and the noise or black-on-black -black crime, black-on-black -black crime meaning us fighting each other for who's doing the most, but we're holding each other's hand, saying that we're walking as one, if we can get that done, we can solve this, and this is our time. And that's why it's exciting because this could finally be our time to break a 400-year problem. But if we don't take advantage of this moment and we let Black Lives Matter go down in history as some chaotic cult, but not as a peaceful thing that helped change the course of America, we have blown a moment in history. I do really think that the leaders um, of today, and I agree, right? Like, I think at least um, as far as we can see, we don't have that revolutionary figurehead um, like Martin Luther King. Barack Obama, I think, is representative of that in a lot of ways, but it's different when you're uh, an ex-president and um, it's just a different set of circumstances. But Gianni, you're 25. Like, who, who, who do your friends look to at this point to calm the waters during the last six months of this pandemic, of the protesting of you know, of the entire world going off the rails as we knew it. I mean, I would agree. But I mean, back to your both of your points of that, there's no one person to really lean on and rely on and, and trust their judgment. I feel like, you know, through social media, through ever, our friends, through our relationships, we're all kind of confiding in each other on what's the best thing to do. You know what I mean? But you need more than that. I feel like that's it. I feel like now we're doing it as a collective. 
especially through social media. You know, we're we're sending messages so fast. We're we're organizing. More and more people are, are starting to partner up to do things. I think I think we're doing things as a collective more so than just following one leader. And I and I think I think that's an efficient way to do things going forward. Well, hey man, we need the the players in the league. We need to stay. You need we need you, KD, to stay on their throat for voting. Voting, we can't. You know, the whole idea of like my vote ain't gonna count. We need everybody to know that everything counts. Every rep matters. That type of that that type of mentality that we need to stay on their throat. For, that's the one thing we can do is make sure that we lock in and we vote and not let people get fatigued because the line is too long or think that not remember that they not checked in or don't apply, whatever the answers are, lazy shit, that they get out there and, and, and vote. And everything that the players can do, CP, um, LeBron, yourself, the leaders of the NBA, you guys are the new leaders of popular culture. It ain't music no more. It's you guys that you get people out there to vote. Because if they don't do that, it's fucked up. And I want to tell you something else. Kanye West, I've known this man for 20 years. He's a good friend of mine. I think what he's doing right now is fucked up. Because essentially what's going to end up happening is, is that the vote, if black people vote for Kanye West in certain places, they're taking the vote obviously away from the Democrats, from Biden and and, and, and Kamala. And I don't want to say it's done on purpose, but like he's so tethered to that current administration that if they had a diabolical idea to put somebody out there to make sure that votes are taken away, black votes specifically, from somebody else so that it would ensure that Donald Trump has an advantage um, in the market, in, 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 in the polls, that looks like that. And I think he needs to fix that because I don't think there's any way he literally believes he'll win, right? And there's nothing that he's doing to make you think he will win. So why take away black votes from Biden unless you want to ensure or help Donald Trump win? That's how I feel. But why a friend for 20 years? You told me it's life or death now. Why are you not? Why are you? I'm saying it, Rich. <laughs> I just said it. I'm, I'm, but because, I, because you, can't, you can't just write somebody off because of their religious beliefs or their political beliefs. No. I, I'm saying why are you not on the phone with him? I, I, you're at the forefront of all this. But Rich, I'm saying this right now. I want, I don't, by the way, I don't want black people voting for Kanye West. That should be the headline of this podcast. I don't want anybody black running around voting for Kanye West. If you're going to vote for Donald Trump and you choose Kanye West instead of Donald Trump, great. That will help the Biden campaign. But I don't want black people who are thinking about voting for, for Biden, voting for Kanye West in the markets, in the areas that he's, you know, uh, being uh, registered as a candidate. That's going to hurt us. Like, and, and by the way, I, if he doesn't like me because I said that, then that's his problem. But I certainly don't think that he's doing us as a black community a service by running around wearing MAGA hats or running around campaigning to run for president 
when the only votes he knows that he's going to get, if there's going to be votes, is primarily African-Americans who's looking at Kanye West because they grew up on his music. It's not because of his political point of views. Or people that are just so disenchanted with the system. Fuck the system. Nobody's good. The left is bad. The right is bad. I'm voting for Kanye West. But like you said earlier about how in some ways protesting and looting distracts the message of Black Lives Matter. I'm voting for Kanye West so I don't give a... Do you remember there was right in 2016, I think it was in North or South Carolina, a candidate that registered called These Nuts. (laughs) I do remember. You remember that? (laughs) Yeah. People voted for these nuts. <laughs> yo, yo, Katie, don't try to hold it in. Yo, no, people literally voted for these nuts. People <laughs> will do stupid shit. Oh, shit. <laughs> what party was he? The, you know, the birthday party. Whatever yeah. Kanye. That's his thing. It's sort of making a mockery of the system. That mockery of the system could only hurt black voters. So we got Kanye West running around doing that. And we got Black Lives Matter being co-opted by anarchists. These things can hurt us. What do you think, KD? In the United States, we got this tribalism that's just like next level where soon somebody say one thing that we enjoy and then the one thing that we agree with, then we all going to jump on board. That's how I feel like with the Democrats and the Republicans. It's just like everybody want to be a part of a group, so they jump into either one of those. And now He's right about that. I always felt like that. I always felt like... You know, it's like saying, do you want to be down with the Bloods or the Crips? Exactly. Yeah. You know, you should you should want to vote for somebody because of their values, not because of their party. Exactly. To add on to what you were saying, I feel like, you know, everybody changes with the temperament of what's going on in the climate socially at that moment. So like in comparison to the Obama administration where they ran on hope, everybody's like, yes, hope. Americans can do whatever any American puts their mind to, right? And now Trump administration's like, eh, only some Americans can do whatever they want to. Yeah. So now the whole country has that pathos. So I think the real goal, or what I hope for, is just a change in ethos in the country. Yeah, for sure. Right about that. Look, my point just to, is to make sure that our agenda, we certainly have not, as African Americans, um, we've seen what, take, what took place in this country with the current administration, and there obviously needs to be a change. And Kevin, I'm not saying Biden is the perfect answer, but it's actually change. Just any kind of change. Anything but Trump. At least qualified change, right? Because Kanye West would be change. I'm saying qualified change. At least qualified change. They definitely, yeah, that's def- they definitely qualified. But my whole thing is, especially now with the climate, these last four or five months, like, what is the what is the black agenda? Since Joe Biden said, if you don't vote for him, you're not black. That's ridiculous. So what's the agenda? It's ridiculous. But what I do understand as a 43 year old man with two young kids is that the country we're in with a pandemic with the headline on the newspaper every day about another young black man being killed or uh, crime sprees in New York City across the board, the world is fucked up right now. And leadership, as you know, leading teams to championships, and Steve, you know leadership in leading business and companies and movements, leadership at the top is broken. And I think you see that with Colin Powell and other Republicans that are saying, right now it's not about policy. That's what I meant, right? That's what I mean. Hey, Rich, 
Nobody qualified wants to go in politics. You see this in sports. You go baseball. Young, talented individual athletes want to go into basketball, right? Like that's what they want to do. They don't want to play baseball. There's a point in time where somebody is 10 years old, 6'1", 190 pounds and built differently than their peers. And they can pick a sport. They're picking up a basketball right now. For whatever reasons, they're picking up a basketball. You're a leader. You know how to incentivize people. You know how to make people feel good. You know how to lead an organization. You're not choosing politics right now. And that's the problem with politics. There are no qualified folks. There are no people, well, not... They're very few qualified folks, qualified leaders who decided I'm going to leave the private sector and do something in politics because there's an urgency for my leadership. The, the, the attack, the publicity, the attack on you, the, 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 the microscope you live under, the way the media is affecting politics, you might as well stay in the private sector and make a bag. Yeah, is it worth it? Yeah, I mean, our, our, our most intelligent and our most sophisticated minds, for the most part, have never ventured into politics. Never. Not never. Not never. Now, there have been many times in history people have left the private sector that were really smart and have run for politics. This day and age of where the world is and the way media is, politics has become a reality show. You know Fox is the highest rated primetime channel, period. Fox during primetime is the highest rated show on television, period. Fox News? Yeah. Highest rated in primetime, period. That's how politics have eclipsed any fictional story by the best writers in the world. The best writers in the world can't make up shit better than the reality of politics in America. Yeah, uh, if you watch CNN and Fox News at this point, not much different than like watching ESPN in the morning. It's, it's entertainment. Let's pivot to entertainment. Let's pivot to the Nas album. Let's. I was listening to it and I had to pull back because I love it so much. I'm like, oh, that's just me personally. And I started getting the messages like, yo, he delivered one. Meek hit me. LeBron hit me. You start seeing it everywhere. Like, yo, this guy, people who I didn't even know were Nas fans were coming out like, yo, he delivered one. A real one at the right time. Katie, I don't even know if you listened to it yet. Yeah, I, took, I, I definitely took it in. You took it to the lab? I definitely took it in, yeah, for sure. But Nas is an acquired taste. He's like a poet. Like it's like a certain sound. I feel like Nas is just perfect over, and I, and I felt like he found it more in this album than he did in the, in his previous joints, and and the features he had on there was fire too. So I, it was a good it was a good project. It was a good body of work, and it was definitely needed at this point because in a quarantine, it's like certain shit I don't want to hear no more. You know what I'm saying? When I can't go to the club, I can't go out yeah. to to a bar. I, it's certain shit I don't want to hear. You know, so Nas coming in and talking with some substance, it was definitely needed at this point. Katie, yo, it's 
I could talk to KD about music all day long because <laughs> KD on the on the low is an A and R. You love independent <laughs> artists. By the way, you were the first person to tell me about Pop Smoke. Really? You was on Pop Smoke early. Yeah, I mean, I was. On, I felt like I was on Pop Smoke just around the time everybody else was. But you was a little late. Okay. <laughs> you gonna shit on me on your podcast? <laughs> you know how we go, dog. Nah, but- Steve, I wanna ask you a question. To his point about uh, music when you're not in the club, not being the same, not being able to consume. What guys now, what young generation, and I'm not talking Kendrick, Cole, Travis, right now, you've been in the studio and work with every superstar in this in this genre. Who has something right now? This kid Toby. This there's an artist. This kid, I, I always mess up his last name and he gets pissed at me. Oh, you're talking about uh Nuigwe. Yes, right. right. Toby Nuigwe. Fire. Fire right now. Yeah, he he, he fire. Going through the pandemic, like every week, it's almost like scriptures. He been he been doing this for the last three years though. The three same years, the sure. same the same rollouts, the same cadence. Yeah. Like See, there goes KD on his A and R shit. <laughs> he knows Yo, all this. Instagram got all these music pages. Go check them out because they posting shit all the time. So I mean I'm I'm always right. on the ground. That guy right there is going through it and going he was on the cover of the art section of the New York Times two weeks ago. He's gone. Yeah. He happens to be with uh United Masters. But he's fire. I think Nas, Ultra Black, I think that's so, like, by the way, uh, what's his name? The Baby record. Lil Baby. Lil Baby song. Obviously, Black and White went like crazy, and he touched on it. You know, people want a little bit of public enemy right now. There is no public enemy, like a group that's invested in this movement. Um, but people clearly don't want to, there's no club to go to. So you want to hear something that's entertaining and educating you on the issue simultaneously. And I think that um, Little Baby got it yep. off, Nas's album got it off, and Toby's putting out scriptures like that every week. That's my opinion. Gianni, who's, who's that dude right now in your world? To me, I mean, I'm probably really alone on this, but and this is a late project too, but I'm just a big Baby Keem fan. So I'm ready for his next tape. Just to be honest, that's an underrated. That's an underrated name to throw out there because a lot, not a lot of people have heard of Baby King. Baby, yeah, he's he's. The, I think he's the next one up. I think he's the next one up. So Nas, Jay Z, Mary J. Blige, LeBron James, KD, just five of these global superstars that you've worked with that are friends of yours. What do you see in some of these kind of great ones? And you know, let me add some other people into that. Ben Horowitz, Bob Iger, because it's not just athletes and entertainers. Because when I ask about this young generation of hip-hop, I'm asking obviously more than just song-making and, and lyrics. Like I'm talking about like that one quality that seems to be consistent throughout. What is it, and and what what have you identified in all these people? You you meet people on this journey that um, they don't accept the status quo. There's a very let me pull back a second. There's a there's a line that connects 
great forward-thinking entrepreneurs, businessmen, with great talented artists, with great talented driven athletes. Like I've I've never I remember I used to always look at um Beyonce's work ethic and Kobe and they were the same person to me. It was just like a different like I know they're just a different person. They're both Virgos now that I think about it. I didn't even I like I just know that when I think when I look at it's like when you ask me, yo, Steve, who are the hardest working people you've ever seen in your life? It's Beyonce and Kobe Bryant. It's no question. It's not, there's nothing else for me to talk about. There may be others. And I've seen, you know, Ed Reed, Ray Lewis, LeBron, KD, you know, Hove. They don't work like them. No, you're bugging. You're bugging. You're bugging. I'm not going to let you say that. Okay. I knew, I knew you were going to you're say bugging. something. Where am I bugging? You can't say that to somebody who's pretty much master what they do individually. Like you can't sit on the phone with KD basically and say that you've seen only Beyonce and Kobe Bryant work to a certain level. They work at a point that's psychotic. You just can't say that because you don't, these other people are they're, they're in these positions for a reason. Hove is just as successful as a Beyonce or or Kobe Bryant. So how did they get there? Katie, I'm not saying that success. I'm not, I am not even talking about, I, they're all successful, super successful. I'm not saying they're more successful than the people, other people I mentioned. I'm just saying from a work, they are, they are psychotically attached to the work nonstop. You cannot say that those other people aren't. They're just as good. They got to be psychotic in some way to be that good. It might not show. It might not show it the way uh, Beyonce or Kobe might have shown it. It might be a little bit more internalized, but there, it's there for you to be that elite for that long. You got to have a, some type of crazy in you. Okay, you know what? I'll eat that. I understand what you're saying. I could have said Floyd Mayweather. I could have said a bunch of other people. And I, you're right. And I didn't. I just, from my experience of watching, you know the four o'clock in the mornings or the non-sleeping thing for years and years and years. I, I seen it from them specifically for a long time. And that's why I have an opinion that led me to that answer. But it doesn't mean that other talent is not as successful as them. Just my idea of the way they worked um, was extreme. That's all extreme crazy. I, get, I can't argue with you. I can't argue with your point because other people have been as successful and maybe their work didn't express itself the same way to me. Yeah, I can see, I can see that. But you did say nobody worked harder. I just can't. Opinion, I just can't let. That's just hard. That's just tough. I got I to gotta play devil advocate in that situation. I mean, I have to. KD, you're tough, man. Yeah, it's not even KD. You were KD's advocate. I gotta analyze what you say, man. Especially we two, yeah, we've been friends for too long. You know that was coming. You can't get that one by the Slim Reaper. <laughs> the Slim Reaper is not letting nothing go by. No. All right, so so we're gonna shift one more time before we go because if we were out for dinner, the four of us, we probably would have had a little bit of politics, a little bit about sports, a little bit about music, 
a little bit about some nonsense Johnny Walker story I told in the beginning, right? And now we're going to talk about NBA. Um, Luka Doncic, right? From somebody who is, this would be one of my millions of titles I give you. You're a marketing guru, right? I'm sure you've been called that before. That's like your Knicks title, marketing guru. Marketing guru. Um, in my opinion, there's these like transcendent global iconic athletes and it's made up of performance and things that you can't explain can Luka Doncic be that guy like I so I was on the I, w- I was at this park today these kids were telling me Luka Doncic's the best player in the world right they're 9 10 11 years old but that's the convo people are going to start having now like is he built for this I guess I'll ask you both like basketball and what that means to be in that role I think he's built to be a star for sure. I think he understands I think he understands who he is, how he wants to play and what the future holds for him. Now, what that what that looks like on the marketing side, I think Steve can answer that a little bit better, but as a talent in the NBA, he transcends he transcends a lot of things because at that age to be that smart and to be that poised is just rare. But when it comes to marketing, what you think, Steve? I'm trying to think of of another athlete like him. How do you market him to the masses? Can we get are we going to get young black kids, young white kids and young European kids all in one sentence saying he's the guy? Right? That's that's the feat. Cuz if you can pull that off, Larry Bird got that off. I don't think so. He always had a competitor in Magic there. That's all. Somebody was gonna always say, "Hell no!" Nah, they're never gonna get to him outright. You know what I'm saying? Larry Bird, from a marketing perspective. Larry Bird, from a marketing perspective. But he didn't outright take over the league. That's what I'm no, saying. No, he never. No, I'm not saying take over the league. Luca, what I'm saying is, I think what Rich saying is, can he be even bigger than that? Oh well, so let me give you more context to that question. These are the people I believe that they are right. So in the league right now. I'm not saying they're the only ones. I'm saying here's three of them that I think are no-brainers, right? LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry. At some points um, in the last 20 years, these players have been like that. Kobe Bryant, obviously. Shaquille O'Neal, obviously. So hold on. What are we talking about? The most transcendent players? Of or course. Sl- slash like superstars? I'm talking about straight global stars, marketing and talent-wise and skill-wise, like everything? This is the, this is the problem conversation we got to get very specific fellas very specific i'm talking steve i'm talking about the players that just make you feel different there's been a few of them generationally and they have to have a combination of both so give me five of them you lebron steph shaquille o'neal kobe bryant i'm talking about in the league right now the three of you three of you no Giannis? I think Giannis, no, because to Steve's point, can you ask all those people about Giannis? No. I'm going to tell, tell you something right now. Gianni's dad was really good at this, this question right here. He would always measure, do you have maximum cultural impact? So if I was to ask Gianni's dad in the music business, like he had this thing called the Fab Five. And in this Fab Five was Allen Iverson, Mike Tyson, Mary J. Blige, Puff Daddy, and Jay-Z. 
Like, he knew those people, what they meant, regardless of their talent, how they moved culture. So when you take that idea, which is the idea as my North Star looking at things, I look at KD, I look at LeBron, I look at D'Lo coming up right now. Who? Damian Lillard coming up. Oh, oh, I just said D'Lo. I was about to say who? Oh, yeah, Damian Lillard has that cultural impact. That's what I'm saying. That cultural impact right now. So I look at that thing, and you need to have that cultural impact plus be a baller, okay? And so my question is always, when Larry Bird got his toe in the cultural impact factor at that time, can Luka get that? That's the, that, to me, that's the only thing I'm trying to figure out right now. Like, can he get that? Is his game going to give him that? The type of game he plays, um, you know, Steph Curry to me, great basketball player, three years of that, not a career of that. You got to do that for a long period of time. That's not, that's not, like, that's not something that you could do, but you got to do that over a long period of time. If you were to ask me about the cultural impact of Steph Curry and AI, I'm picking AI. Yeah, this is totally this is but two that's t- different. totally different things. Yeah. Okay, that's okay. That's that's all I'm saying. So, Rich, I, I'm saying all I have to say that your question about basketball players on the f- court and marketing as a marketing are completely two different things, honestly, as they as they create something in the marketplace. So do you think with Luca signing with Jordan that'll hurt his marketability a bit? If he had his own shoe at Nike or Adidas, for example, would that help more so than him being just another athlete in Jordan? Because our shoes stretches across the world and our brands with these companies stretches across the world along with what we do on the court. So you think that might have an impact? He signed with Jordan. You think that would have an impact, Rich? Well, I want to say one thing to your question about the sneakers. That's why Kyrie lives in this zone. It's why Kyrie lives in a insanely culturally relevant zone because of a certain je ne sais quoi, as they say. Um, What my question was, because I still think my question was confusing, but what to what you said, I think so. I think that um, I think Jordan comes with a like a cultural relevance that is so great and and so impactful that maybe the the kind of like uniqueness of a relationship of Luka Doncic wearing Jordans and the style in which he plays and Zion's relationship with Jordan and how the two of them I'm sure could be marketed together I think it's actually a really good spot for him because where was the room for him at Nike with Greek freak, you, Kyrie, LeBron right now, you know? Just to play devil's advocate, and I do believe in this, and maybe y'all do, maybe you don't, who knows, but I'm going to just say it. I don't think Jordan brand, besides any of the classic Jordans, have really dropped a hot shoe. No, you're 100% correct. Talking. You're correct, but let's go. Let's go. Let's talk. Let's talk. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. But Gianni, you can't just throw away, like, aside from the old ones. Like, that's all you need. You know what I'm saying? Like, the, the old ones, he had, like, 
you know, Jordan had 85 uh, Illmatics, yeah. you know, in the sneaker mm-hmm. world. So it doesn't matter. But but that's probably why anything outside of the retros don't, won't, won't never go as, won't never sell as much as his old shit because it was such a, it, it meant so much to the culture's sneakers and sports and entertainment, his shoes. This is very similar. What number Jordans are they up to right now, Rich? Uh, I think it's about 176 now. <laughs> and I'm not even talking about the new Jordans they're releasing. I'm talking like the Chris Paul Jordan collab or the Derek Jeter Jordan collab or any yeah, of these other players that are signed to Jordan. Signature shoes outside of retros, they never yeah, really hit. That's the Mellow may have had one or two joints, but but outside of that, it's all only been a retro business. Yep. The, the, the real key why you know that just as a marketing person is that's why they brought Virgil. Yeah. They knew that. So the bottom line is, is Luka Doncic, to me, is... A fucking problem. A problem. And I think yeah. that... <laughs> He's a problem. I think when I saw the reaction that the that the world had to his game yesterday, like, look, Donovan Mitchell scored 51 later on in the night. And I think that's part of what I'm asking is, like, people are gravitating towards his style of play and his kind of intangible that I think puts him in a position potentially to be one of these new players that we put in these conversations. Well, you, I mean, if you're looking at – if you didn't know their stories and you just watched last night, you would say Donovan Mitchell is on that level too the way he playing. For sure. Because his his game, his aesthetic is something that I feel would – will resonate with kids all around the world. How he plays, his athleticism, his enthusiasm for the game, his story, how he came up. I think it's so many – I think it's a lot of guys in the league going forward that's going – that can potentially be signature athletes that right now a lot of people don't know of. Like Donovan Mitchell. How about Jamal player. Murray? Jamal Murray. It's going, it's going to be the Michael Porters down the line. It's going to be the Jason Tatums that's going – now because it's so easy to become a – a global just become just become seen just to get a just to, just for somebody across the world to see you one time it's so easy now you know what i'm saying so it's going to be a lot of these it's going to be a lot of signature athletes i think going forward signature businesses going forward whether it's with nike leading anta but it's going to be more and more individual brands and around, around the nba as we move forward steve I know I said I was going to let you go after this, but United Masters, right? Yeah. United Masters, I think, for the last three or four years, I think you've run into that thing that a lot of entrepreneurs run into, which is so funny because you've been so successful. But when you start a new business at whatever level of success, if you love it, like you said, you're starting to get that feeling again. You're starting to get that that adrenaline rush. So I knew you had that with United Masters. You weren't you weren't settling. But people didn't get it. Like I didn't get it. I'm one of your closest friends. People didn't get it at first, right? And I think that probably A says a lot to the fact that it was different and you were onto something. And then B, um, now it seems to all be clear and coming into its own. And and a lot of these companies that I referenced and a lot of the sports leagues are now coming to you. Talk to me a little bit about um kind of the genesis united masters and then like what it's doing now and how important it is right now thank you look if you follow the music you realize that where an athlete 20 years ago or a tastemaker 20 years ago would have said he's on what label is he on oh def jam signed him 
Columbia signed him. Uptown signed him. You would care. Now, no one knows what anybody is signed, right? So Katie and I just had a back and forth on Baby Keen because I'm thinking he's the guy with Dirk, and he's like, nah, that's the kid with Kendrick. Those things that used to dictate the way you felt about an artist are no longer there. And I knew that three years ago that that was coming. So I wanted to build a company that said, let me give the power to the artists since they don't need the label anymore to authenticate themselves. They are who they are. They deserve most of the money. And as a result of that, independence should be the thing that they rely on because record companies can't give them anything but some money. So if I became a way to give them money and or distribution, United Masses would be a company that would free the artists from being tied to record companies and being part of those bad, sad stories that we've seen for many, many years. When I look at KD and I'm around KD, he'll play a song. He don't give a shit where it comes from. He's rocking to it all the same. He'll go from Drake to an unknown artist in a second. It's not like it goes, it's Drake, so let me play another big act signed to cash money or he just goes the next song. In the history of the music business, that's never been the case. And um, I built the company to solve that problem. And, you know, we have tremendous momentum. We announced a deal with TikTok recently. We have more now at ESPN recently. We have more to announce. Um, we did the soundtrack. Thank you, Katie, for NBA 2K last year. Everybody thought it was dope. That kid that we picked. Yo, Katie, did you see that song that we picked? They started playing it in every arena. Yes. In the league. Yes. I, it was on every commercial for 2K. It was, yeah. That thing was, it went big. They were playing it in the league. Yeah. Yeah, in arenas. Yeah. But, but you and I heard it, and we were like, yo, who's this kid? Yeah. So the fact of the matter is that any, you can go from your bedroom to Billboard. And I wanted to build a company that did that. And that's why it's working, man. You know, and, and, and by the way, if everything goes the way it's going, it may happen in sports too, where kids bypass, you know, what college you went to. Can you play or not? Like, we're not going to rely on the vetting system of the college of the NCAA to determine whether you qualify as to be a great athlete or not. You go and you got to play and you got to man up with these guys. Uh, I think the middleman in all industries are being eliminated very quickly. And that's what technology is doing. And like the co-op we spoke about earlier, the area in which I'm disrupting is in music. Well, I'll tell you, bro, uh, 43 now. So at 29 years old, I said that uh, you were somebody I looked up to. We still speak damn near weekly as friends, but in business, I still very much look up to you, man. And I, I, I really, I really appreciate um, the time you gave us. This very much is reflective of exactly what a dinner of the four of us out would be like. 100%. And uh, Rich, you know, proud of what, you do, what you're doing with Katie, what you guys are doing. You guys are fighting to change the business. You guys are giving athletes a much bigger voice, creating platforms, and that's what you're supposed to do with the privilege you got is to, to go for more, not just settle and do what everybody else did before you, but move the ball forward. That's what being 
greater and, and growing is all about. On one side, and Gianni, your dad um, was one of the first people to give me confidence and let me know I could do it. Your dad knew very early that I was somebody that could make it happen. He told me that. And uh, I've looked up to your father, to him in his physical form and to him in heaven looking down on me. And part of what I'm going to do is finish the job in the same spirit in which he wanted me to. That's how much I respect your dad. Hell yeah, man. Thank you. All right, guys. Appreciate we took this all the way out the office tonight. All right, man. Great episode. All right, fellas. Man, we covered it all tonight. So many gems. Steve Stout, man. Steve Stout with the questions. I forgot who was interviewing who, who at one point. Not for sure. And I love what he said about your father at the end. That was real. And I, and, and I had a feeling that he would take a minute to say something. He, he had a very special relationship with him. Yeah, for sure. I think the thing that really stood out to me about the conversation was just you know, Steve's conviction right now on holding up corporate America and making them stand behind the words of their press releases and not just making them put a press release out, but now starting to implement steps. And that's leadership. And I love mm -hmm. what he said about that's what he can handle. He can handle his, his lane, the advertising world. And similarly, we talked to obviously about how philanthropically KD focuses back on his hometown. And obviously there's more to what we all do, but if you can hone in on your focus and you take responsibility for that and everybody does that, it's a ripple effect. And it was cool to hear Steve say that. I was shocked KD didn't react the way Steve did about the Nas album. I thought that was, Nas album to me is the best album since Illmatic for him. I've tapped in. I, I, I listened to about five, six songs. I listened to the songs with Fivio, some of the other featured songs, but I haven't fully digested it yet to give my full, you know, synopsis. You probably, you know what? You may feel how Kevin feels, though. I think what I'm learning is that we're getting older. People like Steve and I, we hear Nas's album, and I'm like, yo, this sounds like Illmatic. You know, it's the best thing Right, he's since talking then. that talk. But that's what I want to hear, you know? I still think kids resonate with legends like Nas and Jay, but it's different. It's different. Well, that's why you're here, bro. Give me a little perspective, man. All right, well, appreciate it, everybody, for listening. Again, thank you, Steve Stout. Thank you to KD for joining us. Gianni, always a pleasure. My brother. I'll see everybody soon. Good night. See you in a minute. See you next week. <laughs>